What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. I always love the countdown to the start of Abraham's wallet. It's like, it's about to start, and then we were recording, and we've started, and it's fun. It's happening right now. We're recording right now, and we it's uh, the beginning of July. July has started, and there's a lot going on. H- how are you? Um, I'm good. I love that July 1st is a Friday, and that means we really, we kind of have a, a four-day coast into a Shabbat and then a long weekend. My wife is off for the whole four days. We're going to go to the lake. I mean, it's just, I, I love the start of a good holiday, and that's what we're, we're experiencing right now. We have a lot to talk about today. So much that we have yeah. to talk about that I'm not sure where the banter is going to begin and the topic is going to end or, or vice versa. Well, today the banter is very relevant to our audience. There's a lot of banter that isn't just about Mark and Steven knickknacks. It's like we got to report on some interactions we've had with fans. We've got to report on some, yes. some things we'd like to do more of in the future, all that type of stuff. Yes. So b- b- before we go there, you brought up you're gone. <laughs> Mark, you once said that you recommended 1 to 3% of our portfolio in crypto. Do you care to revise your statement? Well, I said that because a good investor should be able to sustain a 3% chunk of your portfolio going to zero. And... uh for some of us, like you and me, that may have just happened in the interim when we took a brief moment to pause recording right there. Voyager, which was the wallet I was using and one of the wallets you were using, just announced that they have suspended all withdrawals and uh, transfers. <laughs> me. Odds of us seeing that money again feel pretty low. You know how they pay an interest rate? Yes, I do. Well, just like a bank pays you interest on your savings so that they can loan that money out, that is what Voyager and Coinbase and all these other platforms that are paying interest to hold your Bitcoin or whatever are doing. So Three Arrows Capital, which is one of the world's largest crypto hedge funds, or was, uh, owes Voyager 650 or $700 million because they had borrowed a bunch of Bitcoin on margin, hoping that it would go up. Mm. But as we all know, it did not go up. It went down a lot. This hedge fund owes Voyager and a whole bunch of other platforms gobs of money, which they're probably never going to be able to pay back. Where did they get the the Bitcoin that they borrowed it? Well, they got it from you, Stephen. Um, right. That's why Voyager was paying you 4.5% to hold your Bitcoin so they could loan it to these yahoos based in Singapore. So a way to think of it is I put my money in this bank. The bank has defaulted, gone belly up. There might have been a little run on it, but they've just closed the doors and said no more to anybody else. They haven't officially stated that yet, but it's not looking good. That's awful. I thought you were going to tell on me. 
the reason why I know personally about your one to three percent in the in the Bitcoin is because I was knocking on your uh, digital door and going like feeling very excited about that Bitcoin. What do you think about me taking out a more another mortgage on my house? How about a HELOC? Put some get some of that crypto money, and and you patiently and kindly said one to three percent. Yeah, and so now you feel good about not having a mortgage that you. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I'll remember when I share this news with my wife, I'll comfort her with how prudent we were to only put. How often does your wife ask you, how's our crypto account doing? Uh, not very, but I think keeping this information from her would be cruel and unusual. So I will probably share it with her. Well, let's get back to where we were before that unfortunate interruption, which was talking about the 4th of July. The 4th of July. Well, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think this is a great country. I believe in the Declaration of Independence. We we read that together as a family every year because I want people to I want my my people to know of what America is all about. It is they're no longer the land I love. Really want my kids to know. I'll say about the about the Declaration of Independence. What I really want to know, I want them to know is that those men repeatedly appealed to the king. They weren't trying to be out of anybody's leadership. They repeatedly appealed to the king. They didn't get any satisfaction out of it, and they entrusted their lives to each other and said, we we think it seems right, and may God judge us otherwise. And they they said, we're doing this thing. God help us. This is what we we're convicted that we're supposed to do. And it's a great testament to decision-making in a group of trusted peers. And it's it, it's it's the opposite of the sort of uh, cowboy arrogance that I think many people like to paint up the founding fathers as having. They they didn't have that. Anyhow, we haven't spoken since the great Texas road trip of 2022. How did it go? Um, I would say that the Texas road trip was a smashing success. Okay. Um, we we did a lot of outpost advisors work, but there was a highlight in in terms of the Abraham's wallet universe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that highlight? Well, we'll probably have different highlights. Um, well, I thought our our meetup, our chicken and pickles night with the Abraham's wallet listeners, um, specifically organized by one of our listeners, Mike Dunbar from Arlington, Texas. He is a teacher of Texas history there, um, which sounds like one of the coolest jobs you could probably ever have. <laughs> um, that was that was great. We met at this. It's kind of like Top Golf for pickleball. It's a bar and grill and pickleball. And I don't even really love pickleball. I know you do, and I had a great time. But we yep. had guys that drove for hours to come and hang out with the crew and. I was impressed. The The age range, I think, was 19 to somewhere north of 60. Um, yep. And I was impressed with the the caliber of, of guys that showed up for that event. It was really fun. You know, it was an interesting thing for us. It was the first time that we had physically gotten together with a group of our listeners where we didn't know most of the people going in. 
And we've met, we've met, we've met listeners uh, in ones and twos on several occasions, never a group of them. And I was so struck by, forgive me if this sounds pandering, we have such great listeners. I just thought every one of these guys is terrific. And I, it, it just, I just remarked to myself, I just thought, I know that there's little clutches of these people all over the place. There has to be, given our listenership, who've never met each other, who would be great to hang out with. And, you know, even these guys that we, that we met up with, they weren't like gooby fans in the way that would be a turnoff to me and the kind of fan that I never want to be. These are just like, hey, we're all pulling the same direction. And I just thought it'd be great to get together. And, you know, they all, they were, I think it was surprising how much of a, of a kind all of these strangers were. When they all got together, they realized, hey, we are all swimming in the same direction. Yeah, that was I find fun. that really encouraging. And, you know, guys were trading phone numbers there and, hey, we you actually live pretty close to me. Hey, I need to keep in touch with you. We we have at least one guest who's going to be coming on the podcast as a result of that meeting, who I got to know at that meeting was like, you're fascinating. We need to get you on. So we'll be hearing from at least one of them in the future. My highlight, highlight, it wasn't the best moment or anything, but it was one of the fun things about the road trip for me was I like planning trips. I like doing trips and I like sharing what I planned with people. And so by golly, I'm making a little travelogue on, uh, on volley and if people don't want to follow it. Don't follow it. Um, but, but you and I made little jump in, jump out videos of, of our road trips, uh, to Texas from Ohio and Utah. And that was kind of fun. It was fun. Yeah. It was a fun way for me to get updates on where you were and to have some of our uh, our digital Abrahamic friends kind of weigh in and chip in on what was happening. That was really fun to me. There was a lot of barbecue, uh-huh. but there was some tragedies that were documented. Yeah. You, lost, you lost a fender early on. You I lost did. a radiator later on, and then you ended up stranded in Little Rock at the end. So yeah, I'm I'm still can... not through paying for for that trip because the the fender flare has has not been repaired and replaced yet. You uh you can follow that drama if you tune into Volley, and that's the fun thing about Volley is people could jump in there now, and they could relive sure. the travelogue. Yeah, it's it, it's stored for posterity. You just have to yeah, look up could... Abe's Wallet Road Trip. Yeah, you could comment on it as if it just happened. Other things have happened since we last checked in with the podcast. Yes. I don't know when this episode is going live, but uh, this was a big week nationally as the Roe v. Wade decision got overturned. Here, here. Unbelievable. I, I, yeah, I wanted to talk about that with, with our people. Um, if people followed us for every episode, then, then they prayed with us, um, for this decision. Once we, once we thought that the upcoming, uh, ruling had been leaked. Um, I think a lot of people in my crew just started praying overtime and going, God, please, please, 
preserve dignity and care of your image bearers and all of those things. And it's great to have prayed. Um, but I think, how old am I? I've been praying in fits and starts for this. Not that long, 25, 30 years, maybe, maybe I heard some things when I was a young man. Um, probably didn't think it was my fight. You start having kids. You think it's your fight. And I'm so, um, grateful for the faithfulness of women and men, probably mostly women in this arena, that might be wrong, but who have marched and petitioned and prayed and spoke wherever they could faithfully for 50 years. And I'm reminded of Jesus saying in Luke 8, you know, he taught us so that we would pray and not give up. And I love stories of faithful prayer, achieving righteous ends, and it had requiring a very long road of faithfulness. So I don't know anybody who's been praying about this for years and doing anything shout outs. Um, I'm so grateful and happy. Yeah. You know, you, you had asked me because my wife's an OBGYN, this kind of hits yeah. our family pretty directly and my wife's even been interviewed for news outlets in the last week and they all start out kind of the same like how does this how how did you feel when you heard this news and the interviewer is is without fail shocked to hear well i was i was thankful to the lord for uh (laughs) what he did here um and then we threw a party uh but uh you know i've seen a lot of just because of who I'm married to, I guess I get a bit of an inside view on some of the fallacies that are being shared out there. And one of those is, Hey, there are all these situations where now abortion will not be allowed and it's important and necessary, maybe for the health of a mother. Those are just not true. Uh, So there's no, uh, health of the mother situation that's a legitimate concern that is now prohibited that wasn't right. before. Um, meaning Farce. my wife takes care of women that they do need to have their pregnancy be over or both the mom and baby will die. <clears throat> and so they de- they deliver those babies in some cases early. Um, yeah. And it's tragic. Uh, but that is not the same thing as an abortion. Um, you know, an ectopic pregnancy where there's a, there's a implanted embryo that's outside of the uterus. That is not an abortion to remove an ectopic pregnancy. Right. That is, that is a life-saving medical procedure and it's never, been considered abortion and it's not any less legal and practiced today than it was pre-Roe. Um, so, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned returns this to the states. There are some states that are making themselves into sanctuaries now where yeah. they're going to spend taxpayer dollars to bring people to their state just so they can kill their babies. Yeah. Um, and I think people have to start really making hard decisions if you live in one of those states 
do do we want to live here? And I don't think there's a right answer. I think we yes. need we need faithful people in places that have that value set and we need people also to like I wouldn't fault somebody from saying, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to leave that situation." So um Yeah. Lots of lots of stuff going on, but uh you know, Stephen, that I I think the response that hey, we're just supposed to be solemn and somber. Yeah, and say, right. Well, there's a lot of people who are upset about this decision today. <laughs> well, in my view, that is the same thing as if um if the day that that the Emancipation Proclamation was was issued, the Christians went. Now there's a lot of plantation owners who have have lost their slaves today. And yes. We need to really we need to care for those plantation owners because they're hurting. They have lost their slaves. Right. Um, I think it's it's honestly uh, a bunch of BS. The that that should be the primary reaction of Christians who have been praying that this atrocity would end for as long as we have. Um, So I'm, I'm a little noisy about that right now, but that's my my take. All right. You use some strong letters. Well, I'm going to transition from that into something that we haven't seen for a while, but was specifically called out. My heart was buoyed at our chicken and pickles meetup. It was called out that orator's corner hasn't been seen in a while we came across this passage i thought i got to share that with the people and lo and behold it dovetails perfectly with uh what we were just talking about uh it's from black beauty have your have you guys ever come across black beauty yeah the book yeah i I never read it because i'm not i don't know because i didn't care about little horses when i was a kid i'm gonna read i'm gonna read a page out of it. Have you seen my boy? said Mr. Bushby as we came up. He went out an hour ago on my black pony and the creature has just come back without a rider. I should think so, sir, said John. He had better be without a rider unless he can be properly ridden. What do you mean? said the farmer. Well, sir, I saw your son whipping and kicking and knocking that good little pony about shamefully because he would not leap a gate that was too high for him. The pony behaved well, sir, and showed no vice, but at last he just threw up his heels and tipped the young gentleman into the thorn hedge. He wanted me to help him out, but I hope you will excuse me, sir. I did not feel inclined to do so. There's no bones broken, sir. He'll only get a few scratches. I love horses, and it it riles me to see them badly used. It is a bad plan to aggravate an animal till he uses his heels. The first time is not always the last. During this time, the mother began to cry. Oh, my poor Bill, I must go and meet him. He must be hurt. You'd better go into the house, wife, said the farmer. Bill wants a lesson about this, and I must see that he gets it. This is not the first time nor the second that he has ill-used that pony, and I shall stop it. I am much obliged to you, Manly. Good evening. So we went on, John chuckling all the way home, and then he told James about it, who laughed and said, Serves him right. I knew that boy at school. He took great airs on himself because he was a farmer's son. He used to swagger about and bully the little boys. Of course, we elder ones wouldn't have any of that nonsense. And we let him know that in the school and the playground, farmer's sons and laborer's sons were all alike. 
I well remember one day, just before afternoon school, I found him at the large window catching flies and pulling off their wings. He didn't see me, and I gave him a box on the ears that laid him sprawling on the floor. Well, angry as I was, I was almost frightened. He roared and bellowed in such a style. The boys rushed in from the playground, and the master ran in from the road to see who was being murdered. Of course, I said fair and square at once what I had done and why. Then I showed the master the poor flies, some crushed and some crawling about helpless, and I showed him the wings on the windowsill. I never saw him so angry before, but as Bill was still howling and whining, like the coward that he was, he didn't give him any more punishment of that kind, but he set him up on a stool for the rest of the afternoon and said that he should not go out to play for that week. And then he talked to all the boys very seriously about cruelty, and he said how hard-hearted and cowardly it was to hurt the weak and the helpless. But what stuck in my mind was this. He said that cruelty was the devil's own trademark. And if we saw anyone who took pleasure in cruelty, we might know who he belonged to. For the devil was a murderer from the beginning and a tormentor to the end. On the other hand, where we saw people who loved their neighbors and were kind to man and beast, we might know that was God's mark, for God is love. Your master never taught you a truer thing, said John. There's no religion without love. And people may talk as much as they like about their religion, but if it does not teach them to be good and kind to man and beast, it is all a sham. All a sham, James. And it won't stand when things come to be turned inside out and put down for what they are. Black Beauty by Anna nice. Sewell. Tell me, tell me what got you from that selection. Well, first of all, there's the very simple point of um, cruelty and that it's God's intention that we are the stewards of everything around us, whether it's a stray cat that needs some help or, uh, or uh, I don't know, being kind to horses or unborn babies. But um, I also like in there that there's a, uh, th just those interactions refer to a kind of upright, stand on your own two feet manliness that I miss, that somebody would speak frankly to um, a man on the street and say, yeah, you're, I saw your son. He, he behaved badly and he asked me to help him and I wouldn't help him. Um, and this story of, yeah, I boxed him on the head and he hit him across the head and he lay sprawling, crying in the floor. And he told the schoolmaster about it and the schoolmaster who was more interested in virtues than in policy <clears throat> um, said, okay, that's cool. As a matter of fact, I'm going to punish the guy that you slapped across the face. So I don't know. I like, I like it all. Nice. Well, if I know the Orchard's Corner is eligible for sections of literature, I might be chipping in a little bit more frequently in the future. Oh, okay. You, you're thinking it was just had to be from speeches. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Oh, I did no, no. to him in the past, so yeah. I guess that. You're blurring the lines. That's all right. Okay. It's sections of stuff that we'd like to refer our people to. We think it's good stuff. And uh, cool. Teddy Roosevelt qualifies, and so does Black Beauty. Next subject is, uh, now we're into the, quote, content, but we're half an hour in. So we're well past the mark of banter, but I wanted to just talk to people again, 
kind of getting our head out of the sand and meeting some folks, it does me good. I, I, I really value meeting with men um, because um, I can keep my head down on the things that are important to me and that I come across and the things that I read and the things that I hear. And my vision can get very myopic because I only see what I see. But when I talk to other people, that's when I really get a sense of what's important, like what's actually happening. And I get a much bigger vision of what's going on. It's helpful for me, if you will forgive the, feel forgive me using this phrase, it, it helps my prophetic senses to kind of know what's happening in, a, in the wider world and what, what God's, what a godly response to what's actually happening culturally would be. I like it as a, as a teacher and as a thinker. And, um, so having spent some time with a variety of folks across different, different stages in life, you know, uh, we, we got to spend time with retirees, with people whose families are growing, with mixed families, with uh, um, young men who are just getting started, um, with divorced people who are kind of going, okay, what, what do we do now? Um, I, I think I find it all very enriching. And so I, kind of when I took a step back, I, I just wanted to say to our people, I think that's probably helpful for me and you as well. Every once in a while, I'll just go, now, why does Abraham's wallet exist again? What do we do? And that's one of the helpful things, honestly, for me, is hearing from people, whether it was at Chicken and Pickles or on our Volley channel or even emails, hearing from people is this sounds so simple, but hearing from people now, what do we do for you exactly? What what do we do? Not not just stuff. What do you like? Um, but what what would you say we do for you? That's helpful for me to hear because I want to double down on the places where people experience value. So I just thought it might be helpful um, as we get new listeners to reestablish what what do we think we're here for and what do we do? Would you like to do that? Let's do it. Why okay. Abe's wallet exists. The, the first reason kind of comes from our origin story, which yes. is that there was a day when I don't know if I said it to you or you said it to me, but the conversation was, hey, you know, the Bible talks a lot about money. And the only thing I'm hearing is either give it to your church or uh, Dave Ramsey telling you, you know, how to do the the debt snowball. Um and we said, there's a lot of, of wisdom in this book that we could maybe unpack for three or four of our buddies. And what if we wrote it down in an old fashioned blog and they read it? Yeah. And so we did that. And that was the intent. Abraham's wallet was supposed to be like you and I had written blogs in the past. They were mostly like, can we either be humorous or rant <laughs> and rave about church stuff? Yeah. This yeah. one. Or Kobe was, Bryant. Yeah, or Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Uh, this one was just to tell our friends, hey, here's some things we think about money. And that was that was it. Give encouragement and Bible-based financial advice that's not actually financial advice in case anybody is misinterpreting what I'm saying there to, <laughs> to people who we actually had real-life connections with. Right. So I'll go on from there and say that people started uh, paying attention to us uh, who weren't our buddies. 
it's simple math that if people thought we had something of value, they started sharing it with friends. And so suddenly we're talking to people that we don't know. So that being the case, um, there were some givens, some, some uh, presuppositions we had about our friends that we couldn't make with new people. So there were, we had to kind of like back up a little bit and go, okay, okay, well, before I start talking about money, if I just talk about money, you might think that wealth was my goal. Now, hold on a second. Let's back, let's go upstream a little bit. So we found ourselves talking about uh, things that were bigger picture, things like, well, what it means to be a godly man, pursuing pursuing God, how you approach the Bible, then, then into uh, visionary kind of family leader concepts like having a vision. Can you articulate your vision? What are the values of your family? Are you intentional about what you're trying to do? Have you articulated goals? Do you know how to do that with your wife? Do you have, if, do you have financial goals? We, we might can give you some education and inspiration to reaching those goals. Do you have goals? Do you know what they are and where they will lead? Um, and, and just talking about more like being a man almost, just being a godly man concepts, which we didn't start out thinking that we would do. But again, as we reached a broader audience, we thought, well, if, if we're going to help people, we really need to contextualize the conversation about money. Um, and I probably wouldn't still be doing this if I didn't think that we were doing something that I didn't see elsewhere. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we do occupy a, a unique spot. So what is that spot? We believe in the active power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so you just use the word prophetic. Um, yeah, true. You might have heard us talk about praying for healing. You might have heard us talk about, I don't know, stuff that may be totally normal in your scene. Maybe My little deliverance class I wrote. Back yeah, in the day. it may be it may be something you operate in and have heard about. It may be something that you specifically disagree with us on, but wherever you fall, there we we have a variety of of positions amongst our listenership. That is sure. kind of where we're coming from. Why do you think that yeah. matters? To this conversation. Well, I just think we, I won't. I'm just trying to kind of like triangulate and locate us uh, in people's minds about where we are, kind of theologically. I'm kind of a home church guy, and I also worked at a gigantic church for 18 years. Um, so we're kind of somewhere in between those two worlds. Um, and I'm Russian Orthodox. Right. You're Russian no, Orthodox. Just um, I have, uh, we did, we once did an episode about ourselves and I think I threw this in there, but I, I have a, like a messianic Jewish congregation background. I, so when I tell people, when I say where we stand about the Holy Spirit, I think for people who, <clears throat> who only know us as profoundly convinced that the Bible is the truth, um, I think they can be a little surprised with how receptive we are about Holy Spirit kind of things. And I think for people who only know us in, as Holy Spirit kind of things, like people who might have only taken my deliverance class, um, then they might be surprised to hear how profoundly convinced we are that the Bible is God's word. And there's no, there's going to be no revelation coming after that Bible was closed that equals the power and authority of the scripture. Um, and that, and that God's word judges every part of life. So even with our previous conversation about Roe v. Wade or whatever it is, the first question is, what does the Bible say? 
It's not how, how do I feel or what do I think the Holy Spirit is leading me in? No, the first question is, what does the Bible say? Because you don't know how the Holy Spirit's leading you if you don't know what the Bible says. So I'm just trying, I'm just trying to lay out for people that why I think we kind of occupy a unique space. That's yeah. all. And I do think that that is that commitment to the authority of Scripture is why even where you and I fall on the theological spectrum on a bunch of issues, we have a really diverse theologically group of people who have told us they benefit from this show. Yeah. And we can link arms with a cessationist Presbyterian yes. and go about the business of, of the king together um, because we have that shared touch point that we say this is this is what we judge everything by and yes so that that as much as we're committed to like we want the activity of the holy spirit in our life and even in what we do at this podcast we're also very very excited to work with people that have a variety of views on that stuff as long as we yes. can agree on on the foundation which is the scripture yeah i yes I'd say to kind of summarize that that if you believe that God's word is authoritative, we can walk together. We don't have to agree on what it means or how you play it out. We can disagree on that as long as we can agree that God's word is authoritative. So another of the little places that we occupy is that we believe in, we, as I've already said, we believe in local gatherings of believers. Yes, you should do that. The scripture says, don't, don't uh, neglect meeting together, but we don't believe that the guy with his name on the marquee in front of the red brick church house has some kind of magical authority um, <clears throat> in your home, for instance, that a father doesn't have. We believe that uh, the, the father has authority in the home and that he's to submit himself to other trusted God-fearing men um, but we, we don't believe that anyone should ever, like when you walk on a church campus, you know, say to your family, okay, I'm now I'm hold, handing you off to this guy. Cause he's a professional. He knows really, I I'm just a guy. He, this is the guy that knows the stuff that the, we believe the weight of spiritual authority is on the father and that when fa fathers get together, then you have robust churches. So <clears throat> again, yeah, we kind of occupy a unique space there. And we've we've done it before. We've said it before, but the the outshoot of that belief is that the family is the the headquarters then of the church. So that whether it's instruction, rebuke, uh, culture, you know, creativity, relationships, yes. um, everything, the responsibility for all of that lands first on the family and a, a healthy church is just a collection of healthy families. Um, and a healthy city then it becomes a collection of, of healthy churches. So <laughs> that's right. Um, our goal then is to kind of win the hearts of fathers and instruct them in God's ways. I think that's the goal of anybody that's, that's doing ministry in this space where they would be ministering to fathers or mothers. So, or families and and a lot of you know what happens at the church institution. Um, I think their their job is to do the same, which is to equip families. Um, and w what does that look like? Um, well, men need to know how to lead their families. We try to even when we talk about 
401ks or some super technical money thing. We try to couch it in like not just here's here's the tips to to do the thing, but encouraging guys to sort of step into a role where they actually can put their hand to something and direct it because we believe that fathers are God's ordained leaders of, of households. Um, men need to know how to pastor practically. What does that mean, Stephen, to you? It means, uh, if I can just think of the way a family is built, <clears throat> the first thing it means is that you know how to care for your wife spiritually. So pastoring is usually described in terms of the soft invitation skills of listening, comforting, healing, um, which it is, but it is also the harder, uh, stronger, more challenging skills of teaching, leading, and guiding. I mean, the word pastor means shepherd. So when I think of the practical skills that a family leader needs, it begins with his wife, because that's how your family began. That's what you're, that's what we're supposed to learn is we're supposed to learn how to gently lead in a way that isn't hurtful or domineering and to be caring. I always think of, to me, the, the kind of classic moment where you're learning how to pastor is when your wife wakes up with a bad dream or she woke up that you left her. She had a dream that you left her or that you had cheated on her. And the way that you respond in that moment is pastoring. Can you listen patiently? Say, I let's let's why don't we pray? Why don't we if there's anything in the room that's that is uh, oppressive, I'll deal with it. I'll command it out. I'll stand at the front door all night and speak to the speak to the spirits in the darkness and tell them to go, you know, whatever. That's pastoring. And then that it expands to children, and then you start doing that with children. And there's no question that that has a knock-on effect into your uh, male relationships. And you find yourself, as I do, pastoring my friends, pastoring children that aren't in my family. And it's the heart of a pastor that wants to shepherd, that is both leading and caring for. And I've got this rod that I use with great care. And I have a staff that is guiding. And anyways, that's my answer. The next, the next kind of place we try to equip family then is how to manage and think in kind of a five capitals way. The most important is spiritual. Um, then there's relational capital. Then there is physical capital, uh, intellectual capital, and, and at the end, financial capital. And the, a good father knows how to think about all of those, trade up lesser value ones for higher value ones without... Yes creating bankruptcy in any of them. And money happens to be kind of the most unspoken capital in the church. Um, they, like I said at the beginning, the church at large, not always, but our experience has been they seem to be most interested in you giving money to them when they talk about it. Yeah. Um, and the prerequisite, though, um, for handling more important capitals in the scriptures is that you know how to handle money. So we've talked a lot about that. So we do want you to be generous, uh, but we want way more than that. We want you to be great investors and savers and budget makers and spenders uh, and know how to use money to enrich every other capital in your life. 
So at the very bottom of all this, this hierarchy is the place where we've chosen to focus a lot of our advice as a podcast because yeah. it is the one that we sort of got the least amount of teaching on personally when we were sitting in church pews or talking to yeah. people who were, I mean, you and I have both been discipled by lots of great men, but yeah. not very many of them chose to tell me like here's how you should go about investing or spending things like that no um and we we saw and experienced that if you wanted to be godly you would be given a lot of instruction about spending a quiet time a lot you would be given zero instruction on how to take care of your budget which glosses right over as you just said the biblical uh, idea that managing yourself is the prerequisite to having spiritual uh, authority. So um, again, I'm just thinking of people who have heard us once or twice. They might have listened to you talk about the recession, or they tuned in to hear about grandparenting, and they're kind of like, "What? Where? What do you guys do exactly?" So I'm trying to think of s- setting ourselves. Um, what? I'm trying to help locate us for people. Yeah. And so on that same on that same note, we we do believe in masculinity. And that and so we we think that we're talking to men on this podcast. That's, we know that some some women listen and which is fine. That's why right? we talk about deadlifts every other week. <laughs> right? Right. That's what you mean by masculinity? No, I'm getting to that. So okay. we believe in masculinity, yes, for sure. But what I think of is the harumphing, harumphing kind of yo ho ho cartoon masculinity is not what we mean. Um, I, I started thinking of the a picture of what 2022 masculinity looks like, and it's always biceps and a beard and craft beer and axes, something like that. And I'm not opposed to any of those things; they don't scare me, but I don't. I'm not so simple as to think that that equals masculinity. I I know plenty of guys like that who are cowards, um, who don't know God's word. They don't know how to handle a woman, et cetera. So we think of Abraham. When I think of masculinity, I want want all of us. I would like it if we could um, transfer in our mind, if we could get rid of, um, I don't know what you think of, um, the, the cartoon version of masculinity is uh, John Hamm or or Captain America. Well, Captain America is a girl now. Um, uh, no, no, Captain Marvel is a girl now. Captain America is still a man. So, whatever. I wish that we could wash out all that modern stuff. And when we think of masculinity, we think of Abraham. This is a responsible shepherd who has a vision of an expanding family of faith. That's a pretty good summary of, of Abraham biblically, is that when he, when he interfaces with God, um, sometimes what he pleads for is his vision of a family of faith that he's trying to create and grow. That's, that's our guy. That, that's, we named ourselves after that guy. That's who we're trying to build and who we're trying to model families after, Abraham. And I personally don't care if the people listening to us are 
weedy and thin and can't deadlift anything. I don't care if they're dweeby. I don't care if they're in IT or in logging. I, I don't care. I, I, I think that um, if he's in a fireman or an accountant, it doesn't matter if he wants to build a family of faith. Um, I don't care if he rides a bike and is a granola guy or he does have a beard. I don't care if he hates coffee or he loves pour over the elite $8 cup of coffee. I don't care about those things because the, those things are not primary. Those are dressing. And I know some very studly masculine guys that if you met them, you would think that's what you, that's what you're wearing. Um, gee, what a dumpy looking guy you are. And I just think, yeah, we'll just wait till unrighteousness touches his family. And then we'll see the lion that this guy is made of. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that yelling is necessarily masculine, but I do think that we have to yell every once in a while. We should get our dander up about some things. If you're a defender of your family, there are some nerves that can be touched that you, you won't budge on. And if, even if you have to oppose your own family members, as the scripture tells us, you'll do that because uh, they're non-negotiables to you. I don't think that yelling something is is more righteous than not yelling something. I think that can be a cartoon version of masculinity. And we see a lot of um, internet preachers who, who do that sort of thing. That's not That's not who we are. On that note, we believe in independence, but it's not so that we can drive our lifted four by fours with Punisher logos and AR-15s through town with Trump flags blazing and Kid Rock blaring. Do you like that image? I love that image because I think that's what I, that's what you get that you don't get up here in Utah where everyone's pretty polite and uh-huh. you know, there's definitely the jacked up trucks here and there, but when we go down to Texas or even when I go to some parts of Ohio and visit you, I see that guy and I think, hmm, that's something. And I think, I don't know if that's my guy or not. I don't, I don't know if he's... If he's uh, in my crew or he's part of the, the audience that we want to uh, convert, I don't know. Um, we want independence in our homes so that we can obey the mandate to live our lives quietly in community, raising godly kids and influencing outsiders as the Lord affords opportunity. I went off on Volley recently about this, and I'll just repeat that the point of our homes isn't mission to outsiders. That's not the point of our homes. We don't exist so that we can reach outsiders. We exist to glorify God. And we know that one of the things that he's looking for is godly offspring. So it is primary for us that our homes are places of a godly culture where there is truth and love both going on. Um, and we, when I think of independence, I simply think of the right to do that. That's why I like July 4th, because um, the Declaration of Independence um, has given me that. And so I'm a fan. So we, we don't want independence from the accountability of a church community. We've already said that. But we want independence from outside forces that outside forces that want to make us eat Babylonian meat. If I can use a Daniel picture there. Um, I don't want to eat that meat and I don't want my family to eat that meat. And I want the independence to, to, uh, to do that. So 
all of that to say, I think a good summary for us is that we want to help men run, run their home and their dough, dough like, like a, a biblical, biblical boss. That's why we exist. So yeah. if you're just tuning in or you need a refresher, that's who we are. That's why we're here. And that's, we're gonna, that's why we're going to keep trudging onward. And I don't know if it'll be next week or maybe in a future episode, but there was a whole second part to this this little review that was reviewing the critical path to biblical greatness, which is a very grandiose title, but it's kind of yeah. saying, we think that there's some milestones that uh, are broadly applicable that could help somebody who's setting out to run their home and their dough like a biblical boss kind of say, am I on track? Am I on the, on the rails towards, towards the goal? And so look forward to that. Cause I think we're going to try to lay out, here's some things to be thinking about like, okay, I'm in my, I, I'm 17. What should I be about right now? You yeah. know? Uh, or I'm 40 uh, and I've got a job in a 401k. Like, Am I doing everything I should be doing? Yes. Um, yes. And we just kind of want to lay that out. So I think that'll actually be exciting. Our job is not to tell you, you know, here's the specific prescription of the type of job you have or how many kids you have or um, what type of church life thing you yeah, do. Yeah. Um, none of that. Uh, but to, to give you some actual biblical, here are our worthy checkpoints along the way so that you don't wake up and find that you uh, loved this podcast and were a big fan of everything we said and then didn't actually do any of it. And now you're looking back and going, man, I wish I had had some measuring rod to find out if I was on track or not. Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll do that at some point. And maybe by next week... Uh, Voyager will have opened up withdrawals oh. and you won't have this melancholy oh. tone in your voice. Oh! Hopeful thinking. I love it. Alright. All right. See you then. Until then. Bye. Bye.